0: Okay, we're going to be reading this morning out of Isaiah chapter 56, and we're going to be doing just the first eight verses. So Isaiah chapter 56, verses 1 through 8. Thus says the Lord, keep justice, do righteousness. For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people and not let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. I shall not be cut off and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Every one who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted. On my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. It's important for us. Remember that first of all, this book was written by a Jewish prophet to Jewish people who were 200 years in the future going to be in exile and looking for redemption, looking for their salvation, their second exodus to come back to the temple. Because if we can understand from their perspective and their cultural feelings, their foibles, their own prejudices, we get a better understanding of why these specific words were chosen. Why God felt it was important to say these words. You see, from my 21st century Christian worldview, I read this and go, well, of course. I mean, in Galatians... Paul, chapter 3, verses 26 to 29, Paul wrote, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is no Jew or Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, Then you're Abraham's offspring's heirs according to promise. I've been taught that since 1978 when, excuse me, 75 when I gave my heart to Christ. God doesn't see color. He doesn't see gender. He he doesn't see nationality. He sees his children. End of story. He loves all. He has welcomed all. Acts chapter 10. You know this story. Peter. Actually, in Acts chapter 8, I believe it is, or 9. I can't remember now. It might be, might be all of 10. Anyway, Peter is on this house, the, the rooftop of Simon the Tanner who lives in Joppa. And Peter is having his quiet time with God up on the roof. Now, back then, uh, those roofs were flat with a wall around them, so it was more like a, an outside room. It wasn't like a pitched roof that we, like we have. And so he was up on this roof, having quiet time with God, and God gave him a vision. It literally says he went into a trance, or a meditative state. And he saw this vision of a sheet coming down from heaven, full of all what the Jewish people would have called unclean animals. And the voice of God calls to Peter and says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And Peter says, Lord, in his trance, Lord, I can't do that. I have never allowed any defilement by eating unclean animals. I can't do that. And the Lord says to Peter, that which I have declared clean, don't you dare call unclean. And then that sheet was taken back up into heaven. During his time with God, his trance with, that he was involved with, his meditation, He saw this same vision three different times. And as it was being pulled back up to heaven at the end of the third time, a knock comes on the door. And lo and behold, it's the servants of Cornelius the centurion. And Cornelius had sent these people to go get Peter because God had said to him in a vision, I need you to send to Joppa to Peter who's living at Simon's house because Peter will come and tell you all about me. Now, why was this important? Because Peter, who was a Jew, who loved God, who tried to honor God through his righteous life, went, I'm not supposed to go into the house of a Gentile. But God has just now convinced me, when he calls something clean, I can't... Call it unclean. And so, of course, I will go with you. And then if you go to verses 34 and 35 in Acts, Peter opens his mouth and says, after hearing the whole story from Cornelius about all that God had said and done in his life. Finally, Peter says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. I don't have time this morning for us to go into all of the different stories in the New Testament about how the Gentile believers were welcomed into the house of God by the Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. One specific one that I'll mention, but I'm not going to go into any topic, but you can read later for yourself, was the council that met in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, where the church made a definitive Purpose—I mean, not purpose—say, but a definitive declaration of welcome to the Gentile believers, and you can read that for yourself. So, we in the 21st century, from our Christian worldview—if you've done any—I've been brought up in any way in the church—you know, from the earliest days of your faith training, God accepts all people, regardless of who they are. But if you were a Jew living in the time of Isaiah or the 200 years after when they were in the Babylonian exile, you would have a mindset that said, I am one of the chosen people. Only we have an intimate and close relationship with the true God. All of these Gentiles are pagans and they have nothing to do with God and Someone may come into the faith, but they aren't born into the faith. And then, to go and understand more of the Jews of that time and their culture and their mindset, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 1 through 8. I will read it while you follow. It's kind of coarse. I'm glad the kids aren't here. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor of Pethor, from Pethor of Mesopotamia, to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace, or their prosperity all your days forever. You shall not abhor a Midomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you are a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. See, the mindset of the Jews were, we're special and you ain't. And you might be welcome but there's going to be certain things that are going to happen. And some of you are never going to come into the temple area, or tabernacle area, depending on what area you're looking at. So there's this sense of exclusion. See, in our Christian culture, you can turn to the book of James, and you can see instruction to the Christians that says, if a person comes into your worship space, Wearing fine clothes and has a beautiful ring, and you come to them and say, Oh, welcome! Come have this wonderful seat at the front! We welcome you! And then a poor person comes in wearing rags, and you say, I'll just sit over in the corner. You're called down for it. James says you are called down. You are not acting Christ-like in that situation. But see, that wasn't the mindset of the Jews back in the time of Isaiah. The time of Isaiah, the people, the Jews, were very exclusionary, very exclusive in their mindset. We against them. Some are welcome, some are not. So, for Isaiah to say these words of prophecy are powerful words. Let's go back and read them now again with this understanding. Okay? Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, and the Son of Man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Now let's stop there. Verse 2 specifically says, the one who holds fast to the covenant the one who keeps the Sabbath and doesn't profane it and doesn't do any evil. It's this idea of being in right standing with God, okay? And also in verse one says they need to do justice, which means doing the things that are right and just, and they also need to do righteousness. And if you remember a number of years, a number of weeks ago, we talked about mishpat and tzedakah. Mishpat is justice, tzedakah is acts of goodness or acts of righteousness, Okay? So, the the Lord says, do your mishpat, do your tzedakah, and honor the covenant that we have by following the Ten Commandments. Okay? But then he says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord, okay, so this is a person who's not Jewish born, but has joined the household of faith, Let that person not say to themselves, well, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, because I I am a dry tree, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, who hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Now think about this. What is the one thing, among all of the other things, but what is the one thing that a male eunuch cannot do? He cannot procreate. He will never have children of his own. He will never be able to pass on his name or his heritage. He will never be able to. And God says, through the prophet Isaiah, if you're a eunuch and you keep my Sabbaths and you choose the things that please me and you hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than any sons or daughters that you would be able to have. And I will give you an everlasting name that will not be cut off. And then let's go back up to verse three, uh, three again. The first part of it says, let the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate, let the Lord, let not the foreigner say this, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And it goes on in verses six, seven, and eight to talk about how God is not going to separate them. I wanted to share with you a story out of my own life. I have a child who got pregnant out of wedlock. And she was in this relationship with this man, not because she loved him so much, but because she wanted to be pregnant. Her words to us were, I wanted to have someone in my life who would love me unconditionally. That's why she got pregnant, so she could have a child that she could love and that would love her unconditionally. When she found out she was pregnant, she went to the man Who was the father of the child? And the man said to her, Let's go to the legal office on base and we'll draw up a contract. I'll never seek visitation rights, you never seek financial support. And we'll just call it fair. And I told my daughter she was crazy if she did something like that. But hear the heart of this man. He wanted nothing to do with the child. My daughter kept the child because she wanted to have someone to love her. Now, off in the background, there's a man named Paul. Paul likes my daughter, and he loves her, but he has never expressed that to her. And he has seen her in this relationship with this other man and said, I'm not going to porn in. If she's involved with somebody else, I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize that. And then he sees her pregnant and abandoned. And Paul comes up to this woman, my daughter, and says, I have loved you from afar, and I want to continue to love you if you will have me. And I promise you, I will be a father to your child. And he was gloriously a wonderful husband and a wonderful provider and a wonderful father to to that first child. And then my daughter Robin got pregnant a second time. And fear rose up in my heart because I thought, yeah, now that you have one that's yours, what's going to happen to my first grandchild? And I've watched now for 16 years or so. And the individual has loved all of the children in the house equally. He has honored... All of them equally. He has deci- disciplined all of them equally. He has provided for all of them equally. There is no mine versus this one. Now, does our oldest grandson know that he is not biologically the child? Yes, he knows that. He's known that from an early age, but there's been no difference relationally. And that's what I see here in the Word of God talking about the foreigner who enters into the household of God, and honors the Father, and the Father says, God says, I welcome you into my house. There is no distinction between my natural born, and you the foreigner who has come into my house. I love you equally. These are profound words for the Israelites to hear. Because our law says... But you saw in John what I shared with the kids this morning. But the law says I'm supposed to stone her. What do you say? I say, love her. If you have to stone her, let the one that doesn't have any sin be the one to throw the stone. Otherwise, love her. Forgive her. Welcome her back into your community and give her a chance to be the person that God has called her to be. And so God, even in these early days of his workings with the people, is saying, I love more than I am worried about justice. There was a purpose and a reason for all of that in the beginning. But you need to recognize that I have set some of that aside. And if you're really struggling, because while we're talking all about New Testament stuff, Pastor, we're not talking about Old Testament stuff. You're saying that Isaiah is changing the way God is communicating? Well, I can point back before Isaiah, where God said it. And if you look in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 41 to 43, you will see... King Solomon kneeling on a platform at the dedication of the temple of God. And in verses 41 through 43, Solomon prays this prayer in front of the entire nation of God and says, Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, For they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays toward this house here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. And that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So even in the time of Solomon God was prophetically speaking saying I welcome anyone regardless of their biological heritage I welcome anyone who's willing to come into right relationship with me. Now, there's an interesting thing here that it's just just to to look at not necessarily that you need to, you know, dwell on But it says, it says in verse three. Excuse me, verse two. It says to the one who keeps my Sabbath. Verse three. Excuse me, verse four. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, and then verse six, talking about foreigners. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and doesn't profane it. Why was that one of the? That's one of the. Ten Commandments, but why was that of the Ten Commandments the one that was highlighted? Because that was the one that set them apart. That was the one that was a public view setting them apart from the rest of the community. I don't do anything between sunset on Friday and sunset on, sunset on Saturday because that is a Sabbath that I have dedicated as holy unto the Lord. I don't profane it by doing extracurricular activities or work because I honor God with my life. My entire world is based on his teachings. My entire life is trusting him. And as a result of his command, I honor him by setting aside that 24-hour period for him and for my rest. And it literally set the Jewish people apart from the rest of the world. Because, again, our 21st century mindset, Western especially mindset, doesn't get it. There was no such thing as a weekend back in the time of the people of God of Israel, uh, uh, in the Middle East. There was no such thing as a five-day work week. It is worked. But God said, you take one day and you don't work. Rene's dad used to pastor in Oklahoma before he moved to Texas, back in the late 50s and early 60s. And there was a particular Sunday, and this was documented in the newspaper, so you know it's real. But there was a particular Sunday where there was a, a this was a, a country that they raised wheat, was it? I believe it was wheat. Anyway, um, some grain in the field. And there was a particular Sunday where there was a horrible, horrible storm coming. And all of the farmers were out on the Sunday morning with their their combines trying to bring in as much of their grain as they could before it got decimated by hail. And this one farmer got up, put on his Sunday best, and went to church. Happened to be in Renee's dad's church, I think. And when asked about it, he said, I trust God. If God wants to take my crop, it's his business. But this is his day. I'm not going to dishonor him. And when it was all said and done, his was the only field that wasn't damaged by the storm. Literally, you could see the damage, 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 damage to the fence. Nothing. Fence. Damage, 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 damage. His crop was left untouched so that he could bring it in on Monday. Now, does God do that all the time? Well, what Solomon said here was may they do this and may you receive them so that the whole world will know that you are God. Jesus taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. Do your good works before men so that they will see what you're doing and turn and in turn glorify your father who is in heaven. It's not to see your good works so that you can get all the accolades. The whole purpose of doing the good works is to point people to Christ. And so, what Isaiah is saying here in, Isaiah, in chapter 56, the first eight verses, is this. God loves all of you. Every human being that has ever been created, God loves. Some of them are damaged. Some of them couldn't help why they were different and not part of the in crowd. Some were damaged through accidents or human, uh, human intervention. And they also were no longer part of the in crowd. But God looks past all of that and welcomes all. And the last thing I wanted us to focus on was what we find in verse 8. Excuse me, verse 7. These I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. I have heard that verse most of my adult life. It's a house of prayer for all the nations. And it's always been a focus on prayer. Every time I hear about it, it's a house of prayer. We do 24-7 prayer here. This is a house of prayer. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is saying, anyone who wants to pray to me, anyone who wants to honor me with their life and receive my blessings by submitting to me and allowing me to be their God, I welcome them into my house of prayer, which will be available to every human being regardless of heritage or or biology. The emphasis is not on a house of prayer. The emphasis is on God's love and God's welcoming and God's grace. And so as we close this morning and think about us and our world, is there anybody that you struggle to accept? If they were to come to faith in Christ and decided they wanted to come to this church, would you have any opposition to that? Would your heart go, not my church, I don't want them here. Because if, if you do have any of that at all, even if it's a little bit, God's going to hold you accountable for that. There's a story I'll leave us with in this idea of acceptance in God's love. If you remember, almost 10 years ago, we had an evangelist here whose name was Elaine Pettit. And Elaine Pettit, if I remember, was the one that told this story. She said that there was a situation where there was a woman who was kneeling at the altar of prayer at the end of a service, and this woman was Nancy Nazarene. She was just dressed to the the nines, and she just looked holy and righteous and pure. And God told Elaine to tell that woman I love and accept the man who murdered your son more than I do your prayers. And Elaine's like, what? And what the what the deal was is this woman, Nancy Nazarene who looked holy and righteous and pure, would not forgive the man who killed her son and the man who killed her son had been gone to prison and had come to faith and was a brother in, in Christ and this woman, would not accept that and she would not release her pain and she would not release her anger. And God called her to account and said, I love and accept everyone who comes to me. And if you're not willing to offer that love and that grace and that forgiveness, I don't receive your prayers. Those are hard words to hear. But that's the reality, folks. The reality is, God loves everyone, whether you like them or not. And the goal is for all to come to faith, all to come to Christ, and let not just this location, but every place that names Jesus to be a house of prayer for all people.